You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz. Hi, I'm Trevor J. Hauser, and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show, yeah. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Trevor J. Hauser. He's the author of The Prumont Method. Trevor, how are you? I'm good. It's great to be here. Thanks, Tony. Yeah, yeah. And you were we were just talking that you lived in San Francisco for a while. Yeah. I mean, Wait, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, where did you grow up originally? So actually, I grew up, you know, we're in Seattle now. I grew up in Portland, Oregon. So I grew up in the Pacific oh, Northwest. Yeah. Um, and then I, you know, I went to New York uh, after college for a few years. And then I was in San Francisco uh, for about 10 or 11 years before I moved uh, back to the Pacific Northwest with my my wife and my family. Wow. That, so that so you ended up back kind of in your home base. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of won. I won that. Uh, <laughs> I won that battle. And because <laughs> my wife is actually from D.C. So she's an East Coaster. Oh, so what so what did you do to win that battle? Like what were what were the uh what was on stake on the table? And then how did it lean in your direction? I so so first of all, I had it was it wasn't gonna be a, like a terrible or just a super challenging thing to do because she actually did live out here uh or live out in the West Coast in San Francisco for about a year, six months. Mm-hmm. Her best friend lives in California. So I'll I'll tell everybody it's because, you know, she moved out here because of love. But uh, I, I think it's mainly because of her best friend <laughs> lives out here, too. <laughs> and that's such a it's such a better flight than East Coast is that 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 the, the flight is such a commitment. Yes. You know, where it's just like when you think of a Seattle flight, you're like, oh, what is it like two hours or something? It's like, ah, what? Anyone can kill two hours in a little sardine can yeah. pressed up against smelly people. And then you're all of a sudden, it's just like, wait, six and a half hours coming back. <laughs> I don't know. I start to lose my mind around three hours, 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Cause you know, we used to have, uh, you know, when she was first out here and her family was still back East, you try to go out for Thanksgiving and Christmas. Those are big. That's a big trip especially thanksgiving that's like yeah it's a horrible idea to ever do that um but then her mom actually moved out here uh too so really it's uh it's kind of a no-brainer she's got yeah so and she likes the west coast she does miss things about the east coast uh and she says you know people in the east coast are a little uh quicker a little faster with you know uh just and I and I remember that too when I had worked in New York. Um, I remember we used to get on a conference call with our West Coast office, and they would say, "Okay, everybody, slow down. We're going to talk to San Francisco." <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> and I wouldn't say anything. I wouldn't. I wouldn't let them know I was from the West Coast. I just kind of nodded. Yeah, those guys. <laughs> <laughs> you like really lean into it. Oh my God. Let me yeah. tell you something. <laughs> <You're just> like, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the, um, the, and like, so what, what is it about, um, this now? Is it this when you're in New York, is it like the energy of the speed around you in New York? And then also at the same time, things are going a little faster in the office or is there just an expectation working in New York? Cause I've only worked in the West coast, but I love oh. New York. I love the energy. Yeah. No, I just remember going there. So I went there right after college. I'd never lived in the East Coast or had even seen New York. Um, and I went there just because so many of my writing heroes were went there or lived there. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, okay, I have to go be in that area. And um, so I went out there and I worked for a publishing company, uh, Little Brown, uh-huh. and, and got a job as like a marketing assistant. Um and so, so I, you know, I was fetching coffee and, and printing out stuff and, and uh, I just, everybody just, man, they talked faster. They were moving quicker. It was so, it was just, it was a different, it was just a different uh, 
way of operating. Yeah. And uh, so, so I had to drink, you know, twice as much coffee to keep up. <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> and then you get in, in the meetings and, and I would get, you know, little nuggets like that, where I was like, oh, wow, this is how other people view <laughs> the West coast. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, so, it's, it's so much fun to get cut. It's kind of a fun to be like an in, like walk amongst the tribes and be an insider in another tribe, and then go, oh, that's what they say. Totally, I had never thought that. Never, you know. I, you always think about people as, I guess they they kind of almost look at you as like a Spicoli character, right? Like yeah. And I felt so bad for people on the calls because they'd already said this stuff, and I was like, oh God, please, if I could. This is before you could really you know, uh, be texting or messaging in time just to tell them like, oh, please speed up. It'll really, it'll, it'll help you out so much with this crew. <laughs> Did you also live, it was Little little Brown was in Manhattan, right? Yeah, yeah. So Did, I did you in- live near work or did you have to commute to work? Yeah, I lived Upper East Side, so. Oh, okay, that's not, not that bad. Not that bad, really. No. Yeah, yeah, so I had I can't remember the train now, but like to Q, go- is it the Q? No. Yeah, I, don't- I was I was just I was just staying in the Upper East Side. I was using the Q a lot, and then I think the other one was the one. No, the one goes on the West Side. I can't remember. So I think I feel like the one is. So I used to go to 90th and Lexington was the yeah was the stop I would go to yeah. Um, because before that, so when I first moved to New York, I actually was at a, I worked for a Barnes and Noble on 90th in Lexington. Oh, no way. Yeah. So I I think I'd put in, you know, a resume and applied for some jobs at some uh, publishing houses, but nothing had come through. And I just said, well, I have to just go. And so I got this apartment with a buddy of mine and, um, and I got a job at a bookstore and just said, well, okay, I'll wait until something comes through and work at this bookstore. At least I'm in New York. And uh, so, yeah, so suddenly it came through and I I could stop cashing my checks at the checks cashed <laughs> and take it to the bank. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, and so it kind of went from there. So that's kind of how, uh, yeah, and I love New York. I was there for a few years before moving back west. Yeah, beautiful. What was so? You were there because you had that you you had the burning desire to be a writer. Is that it's that was that your calling? You're just like you know what? I'm working in publishing. I'm working at the bookstore. I am Hemingway, 2023. In the in your mind, you're seeing the future. Yeah, totally. I mean, <laughs> I think I think I went out there uh, probably thinking I was more Kerouac than Hemingway. Yeah. And- and was thinking, that, okay. yeah, I was, yeah, I would always, yeah, as a younger kid, it was Bukowski Kerouac. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bukowski Kerouac, uh, you know, Hunter Thompson. And, yeah. uh, and so I went out there and thinking, okay, yeah, you either go to Paris or you go to New York and that's where you are going to meet, you know, you're going to meet your, your crew of other writers and, uh, and, and everybody's going to be sharing novels as they, uh, you know, mix drinks together in some, you know, apartment. <laughs> and that's, so I went out there with that kind of vision. It wasn't too far off. So I, when I went to Little Brown, uh, I really was surrounded by other people that wanted to be in the business, whether it was like uh, becoming editors or, uh, or also writers, there was, you know, another guy wanted to be a playwright. And so it was all, you know, all of a sudden you're like surrounded by people who weren't looking at you and saying, oh man, this guy, he wants to be like a writer or whatever. It was like, everybody wanted to do that. Yeah. And so we were all talking about it and, and it was very uh, familiar. And um, yeah, so it was a real, it was really, it was a blast. It was great. Now, did anyone else from your crew in those days, did they also get to the point where they uh, were published and wrote or? Yeah, so I have, I have two, Two friends that are editors. I have uh, another friend who started a small uh, publishing house in London. Uh, there's uh, another person that that writes poetry. Yeah, so really everybody kind of 
everybody kind of did what they were talking about, which was kind of cool. Yeah. That's fun. It's it's like you find your purpose and then, and then when you're doing your job, it's not your job. It's just your, yeah, it's what you do. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. No, it was like, um, it, it was, you know, it's something I miss. It, 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 it was such a, just, uh, you know, a very casual part of conversation to talk about, you know, what page you, you were on on your manuscript or even what version of your manuscript. And yeah. And so that was just kind of normal course of conversation. And uh, I have to say, yeah, that was kind of lucky to, to, to fall into that for sure. Yeah. Good fun. Yeah. I'll be, I'm heading back to New York in uh, October for a little, for a little stay just to visit friends and stuff. And, Oh, I like it so much. Yeah. There's a first part of me where I'm just like, am I here in a couple years? And, you know, I don't know. I don't know. But, but the, the thing about me is I don't, I, you know, I teach and I do, I, I kind of have my life kind of set up where I can work anywhere. And yeah. so, but I also don't hustle. I'm not a hustle guy at all. I mean, I, I hustle on my stuff, but I pace myself. I relax. I smell the flowers. So me in New York is just hilarious because I'm bringing my book to the cafe and I'm just sauntering down the street. And, you know, I need to read my, I need to read every day because it's like, you got to breathe, you know, it's, I need yeah. to keep it all coming in. And so I, I'm the only person at the cafe that's got a relaxed look on his face while everyone else is pounding in the keyboards and they're, and it's not novels there. They're all working, I think, for the most part on other right. stuff. Where, where I was at, maybe, Maybe maybe if I'm in Brooklyn this time, I'll be bumping in the novelist. I don't know. It's things change so much, like San Francisco. You couldn't walk the Mission Street on in Mission District without like bumping. If you bumped into anyone, ninety percent chance they were a writer and had a manuscript on them. And then it's just like now it's like you bump into a baby strollers. Yeah. Well, no, it's it is funny how like yeah, gentrify. I mean, especially Mission District for sure. Um, I actually, you know, I worked as uh, when I was in San Francisco for about a year and a half. I worked as a uh, a private investigator, and oh, wow! So I got to see a lot of different. I was, you know, there were a lot of different parts of the city I probably wouldn't have been uh, frequenting as much, except for that job. But it was a great job because early on, really in my twenties, all the jobs I took were jobs I thought would be uh, interesting later to pull from for to to write you know to use yeah um and so that's that's why my career as a as like a you know because i'm in advertising now that really didn't take off until after my i was in my early 30s at that point because really all my 20s everything i was doing whether it was out of actual you know publishing house being around writers i was out in weird situations trying to gain experience that would be, I think, you know, uh, cool to, uh, to write about and to, uh, that people would get interested by. So. How do you become a private investigator? Like how do, how do you land, uh, how do you land a gig like that? So this totally fell on my, I mean, it was kind of crazy. This was back when newspapers were still around and, uh, I used to write for the Chronicle. <laughs> oh no, really? That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Right. On. So this, I don't even think that this was probably in the guardian. Mm. And, uh, there was, a there was an ad, uh, just asking, okay, private, you know, private investigation firm, uh, looking for a, you know, new recruit, uh, needs to be able to write and needs to be able to interview people and, you know, like get stories. And I think that, and then have a car. Yeah, which which in San, if you're living in San Francisco and having a car, that's just like, that's a thing. Yeah, yeah. No, no, definitely that that's that probably separated me from like a lot of people at that point. Yeah, and then I had some obviously had some writing experience, and so I responded back. I was like, this sounds like a really great idea, and I I went and interviewed, um, and it was a. Uh, a little place. There was two other private eyes uh, who were both Cal Berkeley law and who decided not to be lawyers. They wanted to be uh, PIs. Huh. And we worked for uh, the defense. So 
it wasn't like chasing uh, husbands and wives as they went to different hotels or whatever. We would actually work with defense attorneys, uh, you know, public uh, DAs, and try to corroborate, uh, you know, the testimony of the, uh, you know, the defendant. Because uh, the police obviously has the prosecutor. And so we would take pictures at crime scenes. We would interview people. I would go into uh, jail and interview people. Wow. Yeah, that's you were like really down on the ground, really yeah. digging. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was totally, yeah, there were, I mean, there were times when we would actually surveil uh, people. Uh, you were on a stakeout. Yeah, I was having a stakeout. <laughs> I yeah. could. I, it was great. It was wow. one of the moments of my life. We we did a. I did a stakeout where I actually got under my car with binoculars and a camera, and uh, was taking pictures of a judge that we didn't know if, uh, he was supposed to be meeting with people he was meeting with. And then um, the other time. So was, when, when, when I got I got to get the location yeah, yeah, yeah. of this. So what was the? Do you remember where you what like kind of what block you were on and the? So the so this thing was out in Marin actually. Oh okay yeah. Yeah. So this this is so the, it's so it's not you like in San Francisco. I feel like you might not have to be under a car. There's going to be so many cars parked right up next to you. You're not going to have a good angle on the guy. But you totally. get out of city proper, and then all of a sudden. You might have to go under your car to be like out of sight. <laughs> well, and I didn't, this was actually, in a, it was a very large parking structure, but I wanted to be able to take photos without someone seeing me take photos. And I don't think I was concerned about like, you know, this is an older judge, I, but I didn't want to be, I don't know. You never know in those situations and I'd never done it before. So I was like, I'm just yeah. going to get in the car and take some photos. And, uh, and then the other thing we did that was uh, really different was uh, we did a reverse sting, which was down on 6th, which, you know, is really lots of action going on down there. Oh, yeah. So this is back in 2003. And uh, there were reports of um, uh, police getting uh, a little too rough with people that they were rounding up. And so we wanted to go in and get footage of cops roughing up people uh, so we could take that to the judge. And so we had one of uh, one of the PIs was up, we had a hotel room, a motel room. She had a camera up there, video camera and uh, and still photos. And then my boss was down on the corner acting as a drug dealer. And then I would come down, I would cycle through every 30 minutes in a different outfit and pretending to be a new drug buyer. And so I would go down there and give the money and get the fake drugs and hoping basically the idea was that we were trying to get our asses kicked <laughs> on, on film. And wow. uh, so we did that for, a, <clears throat> for like a, a full day and nothing happened. Uh-huh. But it was very exciting, and I I remember I remember coming down my first time, and there was a bar right next to the because there's like a bar next to everything down there. Yeah, and uh, and I got a scotch uh, like at ten in the morning, and and I was like, because I was like I'm a P I'm like a PI, and I'm right. <laughs> I'm doing this crazy, so I'm gonna go get a scotch, and this is I was like. It's very Dashiell Hammett or, you know. Right, right. But like it should be <laughs> something like that. And so that's kind of, yeah. So that that was one of the jobs that was kind of like a uh, something I thought would be cool to be able to draw on later. It, and it's like that 6th Street area is just, I mean, that's just, people, you know, I don't know what it's like now, but I know that I've like walked through there and the smell is different and it's like crack and piss back then i don't know what but it's just it's weird but it only but like when you walk through there i'm just like i you smell violence it's almost like you smell it smells like violence it, it could yeah, be around it's, it's it smells like um it smells like humanity it really there is like there's no uh there's no hiding what that place is is like or what's going on down there and so it's it's a tough it was it was really an insane thing. <laughs> I was younger, and I I you know 
I don't know if I'd be down there now, but yeah, yeah it's, it's a it's a crazy part of town. And that's in a part of town where there's other crazy parts of town, but that was one of the crazier parts of town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's so strange how it's so close to so many other things. You're in pro you could be in proximity and just know not to walk right. You know, it's like oh yeah. It's so yeah, like you're like one of the best, you know, the Fairmont's not that far away. There's yeah. there's lots of nice places. Uh it's you know, the tenderloin and I, you know, I haven't lived there for a few years now, so I know things have changed a little bit, but it was always, you would just kind of go throughout San Francisco. And then when you kind of descended on the Tenderloin, the city would just change for that eight blocks. Yeah. Entirely. Yeah. Um, and then you come out of it almost like, uh, you know, like a nightmare or a dream or whatever you want to say. And, and, um, and it was very, but it was also like a place where uh, in certain places it felt like I mean, some of the best dive bars in the country are in San Francisco. Oh, yeah. And they're getting closed all over the I, place. It's so sad. So yeah. Sad. That's the that's one of the things that's um because I lived on Geary and Polk for a while. Oh and yeah. That, and that was like perfect to hit all those, you know, the, the, there used to be the Geary Club, which was just like a door. <laughs> just like and then like, you know, they had no smoking in bars or whatever. When you walked in there, smoking was allowed. It's just yeah. like it was like and it was just like people who were people who were committing not slow suicide but kind of medium suicide and then and then there was just like hip people who were at the show at the hemlock earlier or it was always kind of the mix because in a, lo a lovely situation like that you're there with a the mix you get there and there's the guy that's been there since six in the morning and then yeah. there's, and then you like kind of went out and had burritos with your friends and you went and saw some bands and then you're going to go there and smoke after, you know, it's just like, <laughs> and the mix of people that come in and out those, this, the, the lovely mix is, it's hard to find, you know? Yeah. It's like, I mean, there's so many of those great, great spots. I feel like it's, you know, New York, I just remember there were so many of those uh, dives that were gone and San Francisco just felt like kind of a, a cool museum in that way that they had had them for so long. Yeah. And you have bartenders in there that really are from a different. Oh, they, yeah, they, they know everybody. They're like, Oh yeah. Herb Kane used to come in here all the time. It's <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> just like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> and they're mixing grasshoppers. They know the, all the old school drinks. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, and they're, they're, they're smoking. So they, it was, it was a, yeah, it was a cool time to be down there. It was, uh, it's a fun city. I miss that city a lot. When I was very broke, which, you know, was a few times in my life. And, but in the 1990s, my friend and I would go to, uh, at the Hilton hotel in the Embarcadero for yeah. some odd reason on Thursday nights, they had $2 happy hour, $2 martinis. What so me and him would go there with like eight dollars because we couldn't even we didn't even have the ten we had the eight so it's just like <laughs> and we get like and they would and there'd be a guy playing piano and it was all posh and me me and him had this little window we could have our three martinis before we would like go home and just buy a little bottle of Goldschlager because that would be our party for after that. <laughs> Totally good for you guys. That's the, way to, that's the way to do that city. There's definitely ways to do that city and have a great time. And you kind of, you can slum it, but there's like some really old, uh, like kind of grandeur and some of these, some of those old bars that people just aren't aware of anymore. You yeah. Know? I mean, went into some place, I can't remember the name of the bar. There was like a library and nobody went into it. It was like something out of, you know, Gadsby or something. Yeah. And, and the drinks were like, you know, super cheap, well drinks and right. And who knows, who knows what the books were actually, you know, who they were written by, but that was pretty awesome. That was cool. I, you know, I love that about that city. Yeah. Yeah. And I, that, that's right. You just reminded me, I used to write, I would write at bars at night in San Francisco in Los Angeles. If you do that, you, you everyone's writing a screenplay down here. Yeah. And it just, you know, I've written screenplays. I just don't like to do it out in public. It's kind of like masturbation. You just, you know, yes, of course I like doing that. That's fun, but I'm not going to do it in front of everyone. So down here, it's just, it was, I, I see people working on their scripts. And I'm like, 
it's just like, no, don't be that cliche, you know? And the, I'm working on my novel though. And I don't bring a computer. I, you know, I got my, yeah. it's, I got the manuscript right here. I'm in the yeah, corner. Bring the stack and, yeah. Right. And, you know, and then I'll probably be working on some, t- some script at some point and then I'll, I'll be the person I hate. I think I just hate myself. And then what happens is at some, some points it really intersects where, you know, my hatred comes right back to me, but I project it out on other people. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's funny. I, you know, I used to do, um, I, when I first started writing, I remember going to, to cafes and because the, the cool thing about when you're writing in a great spot is just the, the ambiance. It just feels like you should write there, you know? Yes. Um, but then I just got so, I, I, I need, like, it's hard for me to pay attention to what I'm doing now. Uh, I really can't do it unless I'm like in total silence. And I miss, I miss being able to do it like in that, in that atmosphere. But I really, I feel like I can't, I feel like sometimes I'll do it just to do it, just to be there. Right. But now I don't think we can actually get what I want to get done the way I used to when I was at places. And I don't know if that's just me getting old. Uh, You know, I can only focus on so many things. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But there is or, something, or it's, it could be because I, don't, I, 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 you know, I understand, like, because I'm divorced now. But when I was married, I could write at home a lot more. I think, mm. and maybe it was because I was in a house with like a family type thing. But don't bug me. I'm in my office, and this is office time. So right. there's, and then, you know, now that I've been single for a long time and living alone, I kind of, it's like I almost have to go out there. So someone looks at me and goes. Ah, another writer and then and, and, I, and I just feel the energy and then I'm like okay I'm good I'm good I can keep going yeah because yeah. <laughs> because you, you might have your wife you know around and right when yes. you're yeah I'm yeah. just I'm just theorizing here I wonder if that could be it where you're getting exactly what you need of what you would get at a cafe because if you lived alone then you might have to go to the cafe and then the people around you can irritate you a little bit <laughs> That that actually might be right. I mean, yeah, because when I'm when I'm writing, I'm just like, I'm basically in a sprint to get as much done as possible before I feel like someone's gonna just come to the door and be like, "Hey, Dad," or "Hey." Honey. Right. <laughs> and so it is. You, you definitely do. You you adapt, right? When you when you have to write, you adapt. Yeah. And, you know, because I used to write. When I was younger, I used to start writing at 11 at night and go until like two or three in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I don't do that anymore. <laughs> Same here. I can't do that either. I used to, yeah, I used, you know, and, I, and, the, and then those years when you're like, oh, I got I need a couple of drinks before I write. And now it's just like, I, I can't even fathom having a drink before I write. That would be the dumbest thing in the world because I just, I got to work. <laughs> totally. No, I agree. No, it's so funny. My my writing habits have completely changed. I mean, I, yeah, I used to be so proud of, of how crazy my writing habits were, uh, you know, uh, that, you know, I thought I needed this, uh, chaos, yeah. you know, to be a part of this, uh, process, you know, part of the process. And, uh, and now I need just like monastic, like silence and <laughs> it's just so different you yeah. know no i write when i can and i and i i typically am writing before the sun goes down yeah and then you sit back with your lap dog and your pipe and you... <laughs> <laughs> look out upon my land <laughs> that's how exactly how it works <laughs> yeah yeah that's fun. Are you working on? Are you working on something now? I I mean I know I mean I know this this is coming out like now, right? So it's today is the day. Wow! Oh my! Yeah. I got you on today, and you're looking yeah. so relaxed, which is very confusing. <laughs> well, I got this very nice you know bourbon here, and oh okay, <laughs> but but yeah, no, I'm uh, yeah. So this is the day. It's funny though because there's so much ramp up. Um. I kind of almost forgot that today was the day because you're thinking so much about all the reviews or where you're posting to social media. Yeah. And someone emailed me a couple of days ago. I was like, so are you excited about the book coming out? I was like, oh, 
shit, I forgot the book comes out tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And <laughs> oh yeah, there's that, this thing I've been working on for five years. <laughs> you know, that which includes like getting a publisher, publicity, doing all <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, the whole thing. So so yeah, so the book came out today. Um so happy about that. But yeah, I'm already uh in I'm already editing uh a new book that I'm working on right now. Cool. Um and yeah, like you know, I feel like I'm pretty excited about it. You never know, but yeah. I've been excited about other things. But this yeah, one's it's different. yes, because this is your second book, right? This is the, the one that just came out, yeah. Second, second yes. Book. Because because I'm 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 I am so close to finished with my fifth second book. So I've had like, I went, I've done like three others that were just like, they were great ideas, but they, it was just taking me to very bad places mentally. Cause like I was writing about, you know, real tragedies in my life. Yeah. And I was like, this would be fun. And then my agent was like, that's a great idea. Dig in. And then my therapist after about a year would be like, you might have to stop writing that. Tony. And I'm like, no, never. And then I'm like, wait, she's right. So it's just, but, um, but but as I get to the as, the the hope for the because I feel like I screwed like I should write a I should write a book called Everything I Did Wrong So You Don't Have to for my first book <laughs> I mean regarding my first my first novel coming out you know because it's just like yeah. it's um I I just feel like I did so much wrong and there's so much I could have been better with and yeah. then um and and plus plus the I don't know. I do you remember your pub day of your first book? Cause that was a huge, that's a huge deal. I think, I think it's bigger. Yeah. 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 No, for sure. That was November uh, 23rd of 2021. And you're like, yeah. God, you're like, where's my parade? That's a seminal. Mo- I mean, that's a huge moment. Yeah. Cause I'd written multiple novels before that. You know, Cause I thought I was going to be, you know, published in my 20s and isn't it great everybody does oh yeah <laughs> so by my you know by my eighth novel i thought i was going to be in a villa somewhere yeah um, so yeah so that was a huge huge deal because i because you get to a point because you have to have confidence right to do this at all you have to have confidence in yourself you have to kind of be a little bit delusional to think that yes. you're going to publish book yes and, but if you do it so many times, it's getting rejected. You get to that like fourth or fifth or whatever novel that is. You start to think, oh, shit. So instead of actually being like a wonder kind, am I actually going to get published? <laughs> <laughs> and I remember thinking that I remember being very like, it was very different for me when the first book got published. I was very gracious and like just very grounded and very thankful that it happened because uh, I thought so much of myself early on and, you know, the, the pummeling you, you take as you go through the whole process of getting, trying to get a book out there through agents. And then if you get an agent to get an editor or publisher, it's a lot, it's a lot of, there's a lot of, a lot of punches you gotta take. Yeah. (laughs) And then we still do it. That's what, that's when I learned like, you know, even though, because um, about outcomes and process, I've learned I have to love the process more than the outcome. And and that what's that's what keeps me sane. I go, I'm just, I'm, every day I'm just like, oh, I get to write again. I get to edit today. And I just, I'm like, man, you, you know, younger me would be like, dude, where's your villa? <laughs> and, and your canon. <laughs> but, oh, but at the same time, younger me would be like, oh, you, you, you did, you did kind of, half of what we discussed (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's funny um i don't know what would have happened if i'd got so i had an agent actually pretty um or like i think at 28 i wrote my first novel and i got oh wow oh and it went out for submission it went out for submission and it was very close with a couple of publishers like i thought we really thought with one mcadam cage Who's no longer around? Oh, okay, San Francisco. San Francisco. Yeah, you may have dodged. You may have dodged a bullet there. (laughs) I could have. Yeah, that one was Soho Press. So not like huge publishers, but good publishers. 
Well, McAdam Cage, I mean, some of my friends were there, and uh, Audrey um, was it Nevinette? She wrote um, The Time Traveler's Wife. That yes. was their big get. And that, that was, was their big. Yeah. That kind of took them to a different level. Yeah. And um, so I, I don't know what, what kind of, you never know. Maybe I'd be great. Maybe I'd still be a, like, maybe it'd be some great writer, but I don't know too if you, if it, if you need, if I needed to get some of that seasoning. Cause I, I look back at that book that I wrote, cause I, I look back at it recently and I look at it and I see, okay, that it's publishable, but I actually don't love the book. Right. And, and I don't know if that, if that's the book I'd want to be that's out there. Um, and I don't know if I'd be the writer that I am now, if it, if it had gone out there. And, uh, so it was, you know, this is easy to say now. I just, you know, now that I've got found a publisher and, and, you know, and feel like I'm doing well uh, in that regard, but it was, it was tough, you know, like when you, you feel like you're getting there and you feel like you're just this close and it just doesn't, doesn't work out. And then that magic number 30 comes up, which is so hard for people in their twenties. Cause they're like, wait, if I don't get this by 30, life is over. Oh, I did. 30 is like dad's age. Oh, 30 is <laughs> like, yeah, that's like the end of that. No, I remember looking at writers. I was, this is a classic. Right? You're just comparing yourself to, uh, when did, you know, William Burroughs and when did, you know, so-and-so, when did they get their first novel published? And so you started, I started at 28 with a lot. Of, I was like, oh, 28 is a good, if I can get it by 20. And then I was like, okay, that's fine. A lot of writers, 30. And then I was like, okay, I'm looking again, 35. I'm like naming off writers who did it at 35. And then the number gets, you know, then you start thinking about, okay, oh, 47. <laughs> we published their first book at 47. And uh, the list gets smaller. But, but there's I still think, great writers that didn't oh, get it till then. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing writers. But yeah. you're, it's so hard when it's hard to have that vision. I think when you're younger, it's hard to, it's hard to imagine things happening later than you want them to. So. And uh, also that I think also realizing that life is long. Yes. You always feel like life is short and compact when you're younger. Cause you don't, have, you, what do you got? You, you got a couple decades in you. Then you right. got, you know, uh, plethora of decades in you and then you're looking and you're like oh and there may be like another four there coming ahead of me this is long <laughs> okay yeah. i can get a lot done still yeah so. well and i think i think there's stuff i was writing about or that i'm writing about now that i don't think i could have written about you know yeah. 10 years ago i just didn't have whether or not i had some kind of uh talent or skill uh you know, on the sentence level, I don't know if I was getting at some of these bigger ideas uh, that I think sometimes you need age or at least some kind of experience to really uh, touch, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, like with um, the, the Prumont method, the, uh, the father daughter relationship. Yeah. You know, so that's a great example. Like I, so that, so my, I have a daughter right now who just turned 13 when I was writing this, she was uh, 11. And I just kind of imagined, I just kind of projected her in the future yeah. who this person, I think she's very, uh, headstrong and, and super smart and just, um, very cool person. And, and me trying to imagine what a relationship might be between, um, her and, and myself as a, as a father, and, and obviously you put all, all kinds of other, um, um, you're changing up all kinds of different things as far as the character goes. But yeah, I was I was really thinking about her as I wrote that character for sure. Yeah, it's um, the uh, were you also like kind of coming into your fears of uh, like school shootings and stuff and just that idea? How did you hit that? So, so the idea kind of came about after um, it was the Parkland shootings, I think, after that. And there had been the Vegas shooting before that. And I was kind of thinking, you know, 
politics, there doesn't seem to be a solution there. Uh, and then so my writer brain started going and thinking, well, so what, what are some other solutions, whether they're crazy or not, that could work? And so I started thinking about math and, and, and I'm not a guy that's into math at all, but I just started, I think I'd, I'd read something recently um, about some students at Stanford uh, doing some uh some stuff on this and and just started thinking, well, what if there was this guy, and it doesn't have to be a famous professor or mathematician, what if he had figured out uh, accidentally when and where mass shootings take place? And then I started thinking about what would the motivations be for this character and could he tell anybody? And if he told someone, what would they think about it? And, uh, and so then that got me really interested in this way to attack. Cause I didn't, I don't think I ever, before this book, I'd never thought, you know, the next book I'm going to write is about mass shootings. Never. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's funny how we get to, but you know, how we get to the story. Like, yeah. like you, it, felt, it sounds like you were working on the character for a while first yeah. with yeah. an idea. And then all of a sudden it's just like, and, and the, and the weird thing is like, Oh wait, that that one day where you're like, I found my in. Yeah. It's almost like trying to find the in that takes forever. You think you're in already, and then it's just like, oh wait, my in, that's not the in. The in is right here, you know. I totally exactly. I mean, I think the in just happened. Uh the in just happened because I started thinking about this thing. And because it wasn't a thing I ever there are books I've tried to write that did not work out. And this book I did not try to write. And I did try to figure out this character. And I feel like that was what was successful. And, and what do you mean when you say you didn't try to write? Well, I mean that I didn't try to, I didn't go into it thinking, you know what I need to do is write a book that really encapsulates what's going on with uh, gun violence in America. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, I don't think that's what was going to work for me. I don't think it. That's a lot of pressure it, too. It, it's a lot of pressure and I don't yeah. think there's, a, I don't think I would have approached it actually in a very natural way or it would have come across, you know, I don't know. I think you would have, it could have been really wooden and not real. And so I really went at this guy and thinking about him and his life and just the fact that he kind of figured this out. And then, so that sort of explodes into this bigger story than himself. And then you can start drawing on what's happened in the history of mass shootings. And it all, you know, is around, uh, orbits this character. And that really was the only, that's the way it kind of opened up for me. Yeah. It's, it, uh, do you feel like, like parts of it, you were almost like just channeling and getting as fast, getting as fast as you can. It's like almost coming at you too fast. I mean, I story. think for me, I definitely, there were some things I really, um, uh, related to like legacy, like mm -hmm. with your kids. Yeah. Uh, you, you get to a certain age with your kids and you go, Oh, they're not going to remember 90% of what we just did. Uh, they're going to see, you know, what my job is, how I live my life, what, you know, all these things. And you start kind of reassessing yourself as a parent because you start to realize your kids aren't going to be kids forever. They're going to be adults yeah. and they're going to look at you and, and I don't grade you is, is probably is very tough, but they are going to, you know, make it, they're going to have their ideas about who you were or are as a person. Yeah. But I think that got me started too, with this person who uh, felt like he had kind of, um, you know, lost his way as far as, uh, you know, being that, that father figure or that person that he would be, uh, proud of as a, as a dad. And so that was something I think that a lot of people can relate to, you know, where you, that's a, that, so that to me, like equal to the, to the action going on with the mass shootings and everything else is the father's fear of 
his daughter finding out that he's not so great. And that to me is, you know, is really the crux of why he starts really thinking about this. And he wants to help people, but he also wants to, he wants to look, he wants his daughter to, to love him. And, um, and especially in that, in that situation with, you know, with being divorced. And, and I think that that really adds some layers to, to what it could have been as a book, I think. Yeah. Now, um, do, do you see a time when your daughter reads the book at some point? Um, does she even care? It's like, oh, dad's got a thing. Um, can you just take me to the mall that she's on her like <laughs> iPad? So, so she, you know, I mean, she's yes, she's 13, so she's very much uh at that that age where uh dad is not cool. Right. Dad um, drive me like he dropped me off a half block away, please. <laughs> oh my god. And if you and if you drop off any closer, please turn the radio off. <laughs> no one can hear your songs. Uh, <laughs> what is a Nirvana? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, no, I think it's it's something for her. I think to read later. I hope. And uh, I've actually there's there's a moment in the book where I actually um, speak directly to her, and and uh, and I think she'll she'll find that that passage. Um, and so, yeah, so probably not ready yet, but she'll right. be there. Yeah. And then you'll have, you know, five other books out by then. Like, yeah. Oh, that, yeah. Which, which one again, I kind of always lose track of the title. I'll be on my third villa, you know? <laughs> <laughs> All right. We need to talk about the elephant in the room. Yes. You're wearing a New York Yankees hat in <laughs> Seattle Manor, Mariners territory. So your, so your, your affiliation is with the Yankees. Well, so no, I would say this. I, my affiliation is with two teams, more so the San Francisco Giants. Okay, that's see, that's me, that's me. But it's I, I grew up, I grew up in Mowbray, which was a stone's throw from Candlestick Park. So yes, yeah, so so, you're there. So Portland, Oregon doesn't make sense, right? Yeah, <laughs> I didn't really like the Mariners growing up. I they weren't that great. I remember I had a Richie. Right, because I keep forgetting not every city has a major baseball, major league yeah. baseball team. This did not even occur to me until like the last decade when I was just like, oh, you know, I was lucky to live like five miles oh, away yeah. from the park. And, oh, and, and I, we, you know, as a kid, we were broke. We didn't have money for parking. So we had to park in Visitation Valley, huff it over to Candlestick Park, get the $5 bleacher seats. It's, well, no, so I had the I had the Richie Zisk glove. You know, he played for the Mariners back in the early 80s. Okay. Um, and I remember watching them occasionally, but not that wasn't my 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 thing. I was a third baseman and I was growing up in the 80s. And so my favorite team was the Royals because George Brett. George Brett. I remember yeah. George Brett as a kid because that the 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 big stars stick in your brain. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was amazing. So that was my team. And it was also the first World Series that I really was old enough to like watch and get and be totally involved in. Yeah. And they played the Cardinals in 84, I think. And so George Brett, Willie Wilson, Saber Hagen, like all those guys, like great team. And so I loved the Royals through the 80s. Uh -huh. And then that team disappeared as everybody got older. Yeah. And then I lived in San Francisco and I lived in New York. Uh, and so those were my two adopted teams at that point. The Giants and the Yankees. Uh, hence, hence the hat. Yes. See, I like the New York Mets. I get, I, I was, I wanted to try when I was there in April, I was like, I got to try to get to a Mets game, you know? And, and, and all my New York friends are just like baseball. <laughs> I don't see They just, they just assume I'm not a, you know, I like, look, I follow baseball and MMA. You might see me at a UFC thing, or you might see me at baseball. I know I don't look it. I look half homeless that I should be in a corner, <laughs> but, but these are my things. So no, I have lots of friends that are Mets fans, and they and they're very upset this year. They're suffering because it yeah. was kind of assumed this year was going to be a great year for the Mets. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, and then seeing Sir Sir uh Max Scherzer go to the Rangers. Yeah. He just he did that because they just played against the Giants. And I it was I was like having fun seeing him there. I was just like, oh yeah, I he's just such a great personality, you know. Yes. I get like, I get a kick out of him. Totally, totally. Yeah. No, so no, it's funny. So around here, I I definitely get looks with the Yankees cap. Yeah, because Mariners, you know, it goes back to the those '90s Mariners teams that were so good, like with A Rod and and uh, and John, Randy Johnson and uh, Edgar Garcia. Like um, so, like all those guys, all those teams played the Yankees to try to get through the Yankees, and I think the Yankees beat them down each time. And so this this hat does not get a lot of love uh, in the, in the town. <laughs> hey, I'm in Los Angeles right now, and so I'm in enemy territory. Oh, you got to be careful, San Francisco Giant fan, yeah. Oh yeah, and it's just it. I like, I mean, I was I like I had you know I came down here, and I'd be a little more toward Echo Park neighborhood, and people would yell at me, and I'm <laughs> like, and I'm just like, you know what? I don't think I want to, I don't want to invite that into my life. There's a point where you're just like, wait a second. I remember if anyone had a Dodgers fat hat on in San Francisco, you couldn't walk a block without getting yelled at. So yeah. it's the same here. If you're wearing a, a Giants gear, every once in a while, I'll see someone in a Giants hat and I'll be like, dude, and they'll be, they'll be like visiting or, or one guy was like, Oh, someone just gave it to me. I'm like, well, let me tell you something. Be careful what neighborhood you wear that. In. <laughs> you know who I'm actually more afraid of running into uh, with this hat on is, is uh, a Yankee fan. Cause all the people that will call it out will be the people that are from like the Bronx or from yes. New York. Yeah. And they'll be at a Whole Foods, they're on vacations, you know, they're me- meeting, they're seeing their aunt. And I just don't, I, I wear it all the time, so I don't even think about it. And I'll be in the checkout line and be like, oh, you fucking Yankees fan? Nice. And they'll start talking about the averages for everybody. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'd much rather just have somebody that doesn't care about baseball going, oh, Yankees suck. I'm like, yeah, whatever. These yeah. guys, though, that's when it's like they're super passionate. They're really yeah. And I have to get like I have to get my A game going. I'm like, oh yeah, what is the average for a judge right now? I think it's 286. Right, right. The, <laughs> and it's and it's a, I didn't, you know, it's I didn't even know that it they were that the stadium was in the Bronx until the last 10 years. And right. I didn't even see the stadium for the first time until right before COVID when I was doing location scouting on something. And it's just like the van drove by Yankee Stadium and everyone's just like, you know, tired. And I'm going. Pretty. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's a Bronx thing. I had no clue. It's it, it's affiliation, and the Mets are Queens. You know, it's like yeah, no, it's like it's a true regional, uh, like college football kind of rivalry. You know, where it's like these are people from different. You feel like they're from different states, but they're just yeah. from neighborhoods yeah yeah and it's it is insane even though the rivalry isn't that evenly matched i mean the mets are right yeah so many times but they have an incredible fan base and the yankees obviously have a crazy fan base and so it gets yeah like the subway series i remember living there that was like you, you just didn't want to be around those areas yeah <laughs> unless you were ready to like you know Defend, defend yeah. <laughs> whoever's whoever's team that was. Yeah, exactly. So you were Upper East Side, and it, so yeah. it, like, where where was your hang? What was one of your hangs when you were uh, there? Do you like what was one of your uh, bars or perfect coffee shops that you? Uh, oh, that's a great. Uh, I know. I'm throwing it at you, and you got to go deep in the memory bank. Oh my God! I remember so many of the interiors. Um, that is a great question. I, you know, I, off the top of my head, I can't, I can't, uh, God, if I looked at the map real quick, I could do yeah. it. I, tell you I like, yeah, I really love it right there. Cause I, I went to the Met for the first time in, uh, yeah. a few months ago. And it was, I had like all these days planned with all these different people. And then finally I was just like, I can't do it anymore. I need to take <laughs> myself out on a date. And I just, 
I went, there's a little, there's that little cafe across the street from, uh, kind of across the street from the Met that's in a church. And oh, yeah. yeah, and you just like, and so I just went in there and I bought myself, I'm a, like, I'm a really good date for myself. I went in there yeah. and I brought in a book and I bought myself breakfast. And then, and I was oh. like, and then I started, I was like, do I really need a museum? I'm like, just, just go to the museum. It's, it's 30 bucks. You can walk out 10 minutes later and go do something else. And I was there for five hours. It was, I was, and I was like, I've never been alone in, the, in a museum in the United States in my life. I didn't realize that. I've always gone with people. Yeah. That was the first time I gone alone to a museum and I spent five hours there without thinking of it. I even, I had lunch there in the museum cafe. I'm like, who am I? <laughs> what happened? <laughs> what, what, what happened to me? Well, that's good for, good for you, man. Now, I think, I, yeah, I remember, you know, the one thing I would do every time I go back to New York is go to Oyster Bar in, in uh, the train station. Uh, Which one? I, is that in Grand Central? No. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and that place is just so New York to me. There's no place where that could live anywhere else. Yeah. And it's just like, there's three different places. There's the bar there's like the diner part and then there's kind of the fancier restaurant part. Oh. And uh, so every time I go back, you know, whether it's just myself or with my wife or whatever, we always go back there. And that just feels, that's a, it feels like New York to me for sure. Yeah. Trevor, this has been great. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. Now I'm down in Tribeca, right next to the narrow, but I'll be hood forever. I'm the new Sinatra, and since I made it here, I can make it anywhere. Yeah, they love me everywhere. I used to cop in Harlem, all of my Dominicanos right there up on Broadway. Pull me back to that McDonald's, took it to my stash spot, 560 State Street. Catch me in the kitchen like a Simmons whipping pastry. Cruising down A Street, off-white Lexus, driving so slow, but BK is from Texas. Me, I'm out that bed stop, home of that boy Biggie. Now I live on Billboard, and I brought my boys with me. Say what up to Tata, still sipping my ties. Sitting courtside, Knicks and Nets give me high five. I be spiked out, I could trip a referee. Tell by my attitude that I'm most definitely from. Everybody ride her just like a bus route. Hail Mary to the city, you're a virgin, and Jesus can't.
man save you life starts when the church in Came here for school, graduated to the high life Ball players, rap stars, addicted to the limelight Empty in May, got you feeling like a champion The city never sleeps, better slip you an ambient Listening to 101.9 FM KPCR LP Santa Cruz.